and welcome back to another episode of Blossom Down. I am your host, Stephen Weed, of course, always joining me, Mr. Virtual himself, Wally Lukashensky in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Been a couple weeks here, Wally. How you been, man? I'm doing really well. You know, they don't know. I'm figuring some things out a little bit each week with the tech side, so I'm hoping that this is going to be a more like clean, natural kind of sounding show. If not, well then, tough luck, you're still stuck with us. But outside of that, I mean, things on my end have been all right. It's been a chaotic little stretch here. Two weeks, I guess, since our last show. You would think that'd be easy, but still got plenty of stuff going on. It's fun. At least this time, you're going to get to see we tease it in the last show. But we actually get to do a little bit of our previews and our way too early over-unders on season predictors for the AFC and NFC East. I guess, spoiler alert there. We added the polls together from Instagram and Twitter, and we... Came, it was very close. I think it was, well, I want to say it was dead even. And what we went with the AFC East and the NFC East this week, which likely means we're just going to move west and go to the north next week and then follow that up with probably the south and west. What do you think? I mean, I'll, let's keep letting the voters decide, right? I'm good with letting the voters decide, but we already know the answer. It's all those AFC North fans that are going to be plunging and just showing up in those votes left and right. It took... I don't even know how the AFC or NFC East won this week. I still don't understand how that happened. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, Wally. I kind of took the executive decision route on that and just decided to knock out the East absolutely last because I feel like no one really is dying to talk about the NFC East in particular. AFC East is going to be entertaining, but let's just knock out the East, move on, just move up the totem pole all the way up to the NFC and AFC West where the real magic happens. Well, at least you can save for these divisions, too. This is a situation where these are at least competitive divisions. Whether or not they're going to be where the Super Bowl champion comes out of, probably not. But at least we should have... I mean, these divisions, I realistically think, could come down to Week 17, or I guess now, with the added game, Week 18. So I'm pretty fired up to talk about it. These are the divisions that that hold the teams that are just dream ruiners that fuck up your playoff hopes, those Washingtons, the the defenses of the Washington, New York. Then you got maybe a very, very strong, high-powered offense in Dallas that can make some noise. Philly, doesn't really matter. Then you got the AFC East. Are the Patriots going to be the same? Are they going to be better than they were last year? Get back to that form or as close to that form without Tom Brady as you can get. Are the Dolphins going to finally make that third-year leap with Brian Flores going into his third year in coaching. And then, of course, you got the Bills with a huge question mark and then the fucking Jets. So the Jets are the Jets. So I don't want to give out too, too much before we dive into it, but this is, and I hope you agree with me, the divisions that always hold those dream busters of teams. There's at least, I, I guess maybe now, but considering the fact that AFC East for the longest time, it literally just was Tom Brady. It wasn't even like Buffalo or Miami were dream busters too much in the last few years, but I think now they're much more, I guess, suited to be that, where the NFC East, it's always going to come down to that last week. It always has. And they're the teams that will beat an inexplicable, like really good Chiefs team and then follow it up by losing to a division team that's going to win four or five games. It's just the way the NFC East is, which makes it fun TV, makes it fun for us. But it's, it's going to be a little challenging to be a fan of those teams for a little while, at least maybe not for my Washington football team or at least my adoptive Washington football team this year. But again, you said it. Let's not tease too much. Let's just jump into some other topics here before we get too crazy. 
You know we always start with the funny stories or at least the fun stories outside of the football world. This is one that I think everyone that can relate outside of our less than 1%, so like 0.8% in like Ireland or Germany that listened to us, the U.S. men's national team hoisting up the Nations League final trophy here against Mexico. There's not It's not often at all. I honestly can't remember the last time that the U.S. has won a tournament. But after the missing the World Cup, we look like we're on the up and up. We have a bunch of studs for the U.S. men's national team. I'm extremely excited for what this team and young talent can do here in the World Cup coming up. Ethan Horvath, the goalkeeper for the U.S. men's national team, with a game-saving penalty kick save in the closing seconds of the match. Absolutely exhilarating. USA finally get getting put back on the map for the soccer, or at least now starting to be on the map for soccer. What were your thoughts about us hoisting up that trophy finally? Well, it was cool, obviously, for this new tournament to have that. It was really exciting. But just from a spectator point of view, it was probably the most exciting U.S. men's national team game that I can remember in quite some time, especially being able to beat El Tri in Mexico. I mean, they always seem to be the Achilles heel to the U.S. national team. So to see them actually get over the hump, especially with how much it took. I mean, Mexico comes out, they score, like, at the minute mark. Feels like, oh no, here we go again. U.S. is going to fall short in another big game, especially here in the North American circuit. But they kept coming back. They had the tie-in goal, not only then, but they Weston McKinney ties it up in the 82nd or 83rd minute. Like, two minutes after Mexico scored what felt like the potential game winner in the 78th, 79th minute around there. And then you just said it. The U.S. then go to, they don't go to PKs, but in extra time, they get a PK of their own. They score, which is challenging in its own right, especially with the history there. But of course, it's Pulisic, or however you say it. Is it Pulisic? You might want to help me out here. I'm worthless. But As far as I'm concerned, I call him Christian Pulisic. So that's you- all I'm going with. We can get those people to really break it down. Don't care. New Captain America. Yeah, and he is Captain America, too, especially, I mean, he, what, is the first American ever won Champions League a few weeks ago, too? It just, talk about a special year for him. And it, obviously, a special year or a special time for United States fans as well, because he's, he's not the only guy. This is a team littered with young talent, talent that the U.S. has not seen realistically ever. So it's exciting to at least potentially go into this next little stage of U.S. soccer now, where when you go to, and we're assuming that you go to a World Cup because missing it was so catastrophic a few years ago, but you go to a, a place like the World Cup and you can at least be presentable. You can at least look halfway decent out there against the superpowers of the world, at least look competitive. And who knows though? This is, I'm not the super soccer, at least National League, I'm not, or at least not international play kind of soccer guy. I'm more into the club soccer scene, at least for the championship because Stoke City sucks and not even in the Premier League. So I focused my attention on that second tier of English football. But it's an exciting time, though, for the United States and for United States fans. And hopefully this is only the beginning of some long and very successful careers with the United States national team right now. Absolutely. I mean, Christian Pulisic, kid's only 22, so he is clearly our future. And then even, you know, even the guys that were scoring in there, you know, you said Weston McKinney also playing overseas. I want to say in Bundesliga, he may have been transferred Bad, bad on my end, not doing that research. But, you know, you got Giovanna Reyna as well that's overseas. There's just a lot of talent, to your point, that we haven't seen go overseas. It was 
catastrophic to, t- to use your word when we saw a Clint Dempsey, a Josie Altidore, a Michael Bradley going over to these club teams over in Europe and be like, okay, finally we have talent, but now all of our youngsters are over there and dominating. I mean, Christian's playing with Chelsea and he's getting a lot of, he's not starting for the most part, but dude's getting a lot of playing time and capitalizing on that playing time he's that he is granted. Well, and he's been so playing I, a lot more too this last year. He's starting to get into the starting rotation a lot more frequently. At least what he played a good amount. I know he didn't play great, but he played a good amount in that Champions League final, didn't he? Yeah, he absolutely did. And they are a better team when he is on that pitch with them. So why not? Pitch don't kill my vibe. We're going to keep it in the whole loop where we can all relate to one topic. Jake Paul versus Floyd Mayweather was this past Sunday. It was an exhibition boxing match, so there wasn't really any clear winner. It's just all for money, a.k.a. Floyd Mayweather walks out with a huge bag. Logan Paul walks out with a huge bag. No one really cares, but Floyd Mayweather landing 50% of his punches to Logan Paul's 13%, and Floyd with just an absolute banger of a quote. When it comes to legalized bank robbing, I'm the best. I mean, truly, I think that's pretty hard for a guy who can't read Cat in the Hat. Ask Curtis Jackson, 50 Cent, about that. God, I'm so sick and tired of watching the Paul brothers continually get pub—pub—pub—bit. Oh, my God, publicity. Holy shit, Wally. You're watching someone have a stroke right now. This is like that scene in Saturday Night Live with the four bobs for the Chicago Bears and Chris Farley's having a heart attack and then surviving it. That's what you're witnessing right now. You're witnessing me survive a stroke. So I'll finally hand it off to you, bud. What did you think of the fight if you watched it at all? And I know you have to be just as tired of seeing Logan Paul as I am. Yeah, I'm really tired of seeing the Paul brothers. And I feel like an idiot because I was one of the people that streamed the fight. Luckily for me, I didn't pay for it. But it's like what we expected going into it. I feel like 90 plus percent of us knew this was going to be something we'd be upset that we watched after it ended. We, I mean, if it didn't end in a KO, I was going to be upset, especially when there was no official scoring. But like you said, it, it, was, it was very evident that Floyd was the professional boxer of the two. But I guess if we are going to give any credit at all to Logan, I, I mean, I suppose he did last the whole time, but you can't convince me that that wasn't at least prearranged or pre-orchestrated going in. This was a fight, quote-unquote fight, that was supposed to make both of these guys a lot of money without ruining their reputations as fighters. And I think that this is only the start of this because every time one of the Paul brothers fight somebody and they're walking up the totem pill, they're going from guys that have no business beating them to, I mean, guys like Floyd who are comfortably retired, or at least you imagine so, with how much money he's made in his career as long as he hasn't blown it. it you just have to imagine it's going to keep happening until people stop watching. And right now, everybody keeps watching. So I, I don't know. It, I did watch it, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I had more of an eye on this opposed to watching that U.S. Men's National game. Yeah, and I mean, Ocho Cinco was one of those celebrities in the in the prelim fights, and he was getting his ass worked. He even hit the mat, as you know, as you hear a lot of boxing people say, you never want to have that ass up in the air. Hitting the ground, ass up in the air, that means you're basically done. Arms underneath him, but kind of kudos to, to Ocho. Sorry, Chad Johnson. Forgot he legally changed that puppy back, but, you know, shout out to Chad Johnson because... Dude goes in there, he's like, what, 120 pounds soaking wet? Dude is tiny, but he's been getting jacked up. Goes in the boxing ring, survives it. Obviously, same thing here with the 
with the Paul versus Mayweather, there wasn't a final decision or a winner or loser. It's all just for whatever, wherever they're putting the money at. But Chad Ocho just got that bag as well. I mean, why not? I can see why the celebrities, ex-athletes, want to hop in here and do this. Keeps their name alive. Gets them the bag as well. Dude, I am just so sick and tired of falling victim. It's just, it's clickbait. And we're clicking it every time. And I'm just fucking just, I just want to watch professionals at this point. But maybe this is going to segue into boxing, getting back up to just that premier sporting event that it used to be 50s, 60s, and 70s. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to get to that point. I don't know. I guess that'd be an interesting discussion for someone who's an actual boxing fan, whether they think this is detrimental or bringing new eyes to the sport. But I will say it's funny that we're so critical of the Paul brothers, but then Ocho Cinco gets in a fight, or Chad Johnson, like you said, and then we're like, good for you, Chad. Like, happy that you made it. I mean, for the record, too, Chad Johnson has had a ton of fun, I guess, since his football days. He's, what, he tried out for that soccer team over here stateside. He's gotten that boxing fight. He seems to always be trending on social media for whatever good deed he does because he seems like a great guy. He always seems like he's tipping overly generous, I guess you could say, and that always gets let out by people that uh, maybe are the uh, the waiters, the waitresses, stuff like that because there's too many of them that, that come out to make it feel like it's orchestrated. He just seems like a great dude. Exactly. Like, How many times do you see him him posting that he's doing that shit, right? For the most part, you see people sending pictures out of like the the generous tips that he's leaving. Here's a $296 tip because I got 296 yards against your Chicago Bears where I was currently dining. That's the city I was dining in. Shit like that, and it's awesome. By the same time, we know Chad Johnson. We've seen him develop with the expansion of social media, Instagram, with all the videos. We know he's a cool-ass dude. The Paul brothers just are not cool people. That's just someone I do not want to be associated with. Outside of just being able to mooch off them, ride their coattails for money, they just are not cool people. I cannot relate. And to kind of reverse the role there, or I guess flip the perception of the of the Paul brothers, they're doing the exact opposite of what Ocho's doing. They're giving back, quote-unquote, because you guys can't see me, but they're filming fucking all of it. It's like, cool, man, are you actually giving back? or it's all It's all about what you do when no one's looking. That's what Chad Johnson does. He just happens to get, I would even say, exploited on the internet. But people are taking pictures to show him, hey, Chad Johnson's the fucking man. But here's Logan Paul laughing at hanging people in the Japanese forest over here. And everyone seems to forget that. They're just not cool dudes. Ocho is the fucking man. That's a funny thing you say, too, because you were like, hey, they do this with the cameras on them. Like they do the good deeds with the cameras on them. They've done the bad deeds with the cameras on them, too. It's hard to find anybody that really realistically likes these guys good point good point but they're for, hey don't, don't forget too they're from the hood of of westlake ohio the nice area of westlake the, have you noticed they always talk about getting out of that area like it's they got out of the streets of like some terrible neighborhood that they had to basically it was a 50 50 shot they'd be alive it was westlake ohio yeah my mom is from westlake ohio she's like one of the whitest people i know they had a pretty good upbringing Exactly. And I know people from the Westlake area that went to school with them, my friend's younger siblings. And they're just like, yeah, these guys are absolute fucking losers. And cool. I mean, good to them because they're taking advantage of all the spotlights and getting their money. 
I'm not knocking their grind. I'm just knocking basically them as, you know, existing humans. Like, they're just not cool. I wouldn't want to have a beer with Logan Paul unless he was just paying for everything. I still wouldn't want to have a beer. Why would you want to, like, even if he's paying for it, you have to be there. You're miserably stuck with them. Yeah, it's just like, I would just be dead inside, like, trying to talk to him. Like, there's no way that we can find something that we can relate on. Yeah, but then you're 10 beers in, and all of a sudden, Steven's the third Paul brother. I mean, yeah, I can just relate with anyone, find the hot spots, and just start talking it up. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll just be that third Paul brother. I'll be like the obese, fat Paul brother, right? Like the youngest Manning brother that no one really cares about. Like, there's a third Manning brother? Like, yeah, he's just really good at being a doctor, but no one ever wants to talk about it because his two other brothers are Super Bowl champions. That's going to be me. I'm going to be the fat doctor of the Logan Paul group. Well, I mean, you'd pull it off well. Maybe you can get one of those uh, boxing matches, get a lot of money. Maybe you can fight. What was the guy's name? The big old white dude. It was like Jelly Bean or something like that. You know what I'm talking about. He had the American flag shorts. Butterbean. Butterbean? Dude, I don't know. Butterbean might fuck me up. I'm thinking more or less like a a Josh Gad. Because I really just fucking hate Josh Gad. And I feel like that's a fair fight. I don't know why that came up to me. How do you hate Josh Gad? How do you like Josh Gad? How do you not like Josh Gad? I'm still hung up on that. Dude, he's he's fucking dog shit. He is like the white Keenan Thompson of sitcoms and staying relevant. I'm like, dude, how are you still funny? You you only do... He's a one-trick pony. Don't he's say that about Olaf. Don't you say that about Olaf. One, the, the only funny movie he's in is The Rocker with uh, Dwight Schrute, a.k.a. Whatever that fucking guy's name Rain is. Rain Wilson or something like that? Yeah, Rain Wilson. Sick, dude. Was his dad like a meteorologist or some shit? <laughs> oh, you're a mess. But Josh Gad's a man. I'm not going to let uh, slander of Josh Gad on this uh, podcast. This is a pro-Josh Gad podcast. It is not. It is not. More no, weight not... means more opinion. We have more opinion on this show for Josh Gad being beneficial and being good. Sorry, that's how. How it is works. he? Be- yeah, I've I've listed out reasons that are pretty solid to not liking him. Yeah, I have not heard anything to like him. What like what? Why is he relevant in your mind? You know what? I don't even fucking care, Wally. You and Josh Gad can go over there. Olaf, each other Beauty off, and the wh- Beast. I mean, he was uh, also. You said the Rocker. He was. All, I, I know it wasn't a great movie, but it got a few cheap laughs out of me. The one with Kevin Hart. Uh, where he was, like, hiring best men. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, whatever. Your favorite movie is Twister with Bill Paxton. Yeah, that's a great point. It shows that I have great taste. It seems like you have zero taste buds, actually. You just like blandness. Well, hey, we don't say anything bad about that. It's like the Impossible Whopper. We try things, and we like new good good new things here. That's what I was trying to get to. You and Josh, Josh Gack can fuck off, blow each other, and go eat the Impossible Whoppers together. And go fucking watch, I don't know, go watch your Pittsburgh Pirates hit a home run, not hit first base, and then get called out in the first inning. That's a lot of firsts right there. I disowned rooting for the Indians this year because a buddy of mine made fun of the Pirates and stepping or missing Cleveland, first. Cleveland I-words. Well, hey. Shout out to my, shout out to my uh, kid on my team, Pat, Pat Ditto. He always says I-words. I find it very humorous. But oh, fuck that kid. Yeah, it's he like the in, PFT came in two hours late today. If you hear, if you are uh, listening to this, Patrick Ditto, you're fired. So go ahead and pack up all your shit the second you hear this, and then, uh, yeah. Well, hey, how about we transition over to the golf talk now? We we were going to talk about the match coming back. I think it's mid July or something like that. Yeah, we'll hop right into it, man. We got the match that is going to be returning July sixth. 
If you guys don't know what quote unquote the match is, we're going to have Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady playing 18 holes against Bryson DeChambeau and Aaron Rodgers. Finally, a positive story that comes out about Aaron Rodgers. But then at the same time, he's golfing with Bryson DeChambeau. So how positive is this story? I love that it's back. I have mixed feelings about watching this, knowing what's going on in Green Bay. Aaron's just chilling in Hawaii or wherever the fuck he is now. And now he's getting prepared for a July 6th golf match against Phil and Tom Brady. I'm pumped for it all around. It's golf. We, we've been loving the last, what, two or three when it's been Phil and – was it Phil and – was it Phil and – well, yeah, no. yeah, it was Phil and Tiger the first time, just themselves, and then the, what, second time around, they brought in, what, was it Peyton and Tom the second time? Peyton and Tom, but I can't remember who was with who now. I want to say Peyton and, it was Peyton and Phil and Tom and Tiger. Maybe it was the other way. I think it was Phil and Tom because Tom was really struggling, and Phil's like, I'm going to have to put this team on my back until Tom holes out from the fairway. It might have even been the rough early on in that, uh, what, sixth or seventh hole he was golfing oh, like yeah. one of us where he was so miserable to be out there but you hit one good shot and all of a sudden the mood goes up and you're all happy we're back baby we're absolutely back in the fairway dropping bombs so i'm looking i'm excited for it what are, you, what are kind of your thoughts around this i love phil mickelson and i would love to have seen like tiger healthy to be able to keep that kind of tradition of the match going obviously with his leg injury after his car accident that's not going to happen but since then, Tiger was not a part of it, and they brought in Bryson DeChambeau. I would have loved to see Brooks Kepka be partnered with Tom Brady instead of Phil, because then all of a sudden you have like a legitimate rivalry. Like the guys can't stand each other. At least you'd imagine Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are like friendly at the very least when they're not playing. But those two genuinely detest each other, and I think that would have been almost must watch because of how uncomfortable it could have been at times. They went with Phil, which is never a bad choice. The guy's one of the people's champs of golf, as we got to see a few weeks ago. So I'll watch. It'll be fun. I will definitely be rooting for Phil and Tom Brady, though. That's without question. Oh, you know, unfortunately, I have to root for Aaron Rodgers. As much as everyone hates Bryson DeChambeau, got to root for Aaron Rodgers. Those might be the two most hated people, depending what side of Wisconsin you're on or what side of Wisconsin you're in, I should say. Here, I mean, crazy enough, too, I was thinking about this. As much as I hate Bryson DeChambeau, he's probably better at this, not probably, he is better than Phil Mickelson at this stage of his career. Then it's just a simple question of, can Tom Brady make up shots in Aaron Rodgers? I've never seen Aaron Rodgers golf, no idea how good he is at that. But I'll say I saw Tom Brady golf last year, and if we have to depend on Brady winning this for the good guys, as a country rooting for because no one outside of Packer fans and the minute amount of DeChambeau fans everybody's rooting for Phil in TB12 I'm rooting for Aaron and then Phil in TB12 like I want Bryson to really shit to bed Aaron somehow put the team on his back a little bit only for Phil and TB just to come in win by a couple strokes in the last holes that's really all I can ask for and then Aaron just looking at himself in the mirror and being like man I really miss the Green Bay Packers. I should probably go back now. Yeah, you need to root for like the best round of golf ever from Aaron Rodgers, and they just happen to lose by a stroke, and it's not his fault. That's your dream scenario. I, on the other hand, I'm hoping that every single hole goes to Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady. I hope Bryson's driving his 400-yard drives straight into the woods all day. 
Only time will tell. We're approaching a little bit less than a month. You got a couple weeks here. It's really, it's just annoying because, of course, it's on a Tuesday. Why can't it be over Fourth of July weekend? That would only make sense. Yeah, it would. But even so, I'm still looking forward to it. It should be a fun little midday treat for everybody. I just hope it's not that pouring, disgusting weather that we had to see last year. I hope it's a nice sunny day. Hopefully, you get a few fans out there this time, or at the very least, you have the guys like Charles Barkley able to interact person to person with these guys or you know, something like that. I feel like the COVID COVID restrictions being softened throughout the country, I think that you're going to see them to do something. I don't know what that would be, but it's got to be better than last year's, at least atmosphere-wise. It can't be worse. Man, can you imagine how rowdy? If they're going to be as lenient as they were for the PGA Championship when Phil won, could you imagine how rowdy it will be at that? On top of that, while we're on the subject of golf, the memorial happened here this past weekend in Columbus, Ohio, Murfield, in Dublin to be exact. Lots of people got on the train of calling Bryson DeChambeau, Bryson DeChambeau Brooksy during his drives with DeChambeau and his caddy finally deciding to point people out and get him kicked out by day two. I hope that Bryson does not have that pull during the match because he is going to get grilled. And it's going to be fucking hilarious. And he's got Mr. Cali douchebag Aaron Rodgers right next to him. And I'm very excited to see what people have to say to him. I know this is hardly a unique take. A lot of people have had it. But the worst thing that DeShambo could have done was make such a big deal out of those nicknames. Because at some point it goes away. But as soon as you let people know that it bothers you, he's going to be hearing Brooksy chants for the next five years. That's just the way that works. It's the way people work. So the I'm rest of his it. career... The rest of his career, as long as this Brooks and Bryson rivalry continues and they're both peaking in their performance over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, why not? I can never see this turning into a, a Phil and Tiger and then people who were obviously on Tiger's side have that soft spot for Phil now, rooting for Phil a little bit. I can never see that happening in this rivalry, and I hope it continues until they are both done and off the tour. Brooks, a.k.a. Blake Kepka for the win forever. That's all I got to say on that. But then, you know, it's got to be football time now, right? It's got to be, be that football time. Let's get the sappy story out of here to start the football segment. Jim Fossil passing away at the age of 71. Obviously, he was the head coach for the New York Giants for about seven years, most notably winning the NFC Championship in 2000 before losing to that extremely loaded Baltimore Ravens team. Jim Fossil, I felt like we kind of got the tail end of his career once we were really starting to remember names, coaches, prolific coaches at that. Not saying that he's kind of up there, but it's definitely a name that stuck around coordinating-wise after he lost that head coaching position. Do you have any nice words for those huge Jim Fossil fans that I'm sure are listening on the pod? No, seriously, though, I'm really sad for him and his family. John's still in the league. I'm sure a lot of you probably don't even realize that he is the son of Jim Fossil. He's the special teams coordinator now in Dallas. He was the special teams coordinator out in LA for about seven years there where it felt like every single play was going to be a fake punt or some kind of crazy special teams bit. So at least the Fossils still have a little bit of that NFL story left to be written. Uh, I, I do feel sad for his family. I you said it right there. That was right around the era where we started getting into football. We started understanding it at least paying attention quite a bit. And I mean, man, that team in 2000, it was a hell of a Giants team. It's just, 
they ran into a buzzsaw and that Baltimore Ravens defense, it's in that short conversation for best defense in NFL history. I mean, the only offense that Giants team was able to get going, or I shouldn't even say offense, the only points they were able to get in that game was a kickoff return that was immediately followed by a Baltimore kickoff return. So it's a bummer for for Fossil and those Giants fans that they didn't have, I guess, a less extreme opponent that they had to deal with. But he was successful there, and he had a very long coaching career. He was in football, whether that college, USFL, NFL, from like mid-70s to the early 2010s. So he had a great long career. I wish he could have lasted a little bit longer in his retirement before, unfortunately, he did leave us. But yeah, not too much good to say, or not too much happy to say. It's just a really sad story. It's a part of life, but man, it's it's tough. But yeah, we're definitely thinking of the fossils right now. Fossil fuel. That's all I can think about. Is that kind of bad? Oh yeah, I guess that's kind of bad to talk about. So, well, yeah, obviously condolences going to the fossil family. You're a monster. I'm an absolute deviant. Watch The Conjuring 3 here. Anytime you watch, you know, sadistic, paranormal stuff, yeah, my empathy level just drops way, way low. I don't know why. I just, I just love murder. Walter. That's a little that's a little concerning, but I I suppose that's a that's a good way to transition cuz you know who got murdered in a trade this week was you were hell bent on Atlanta getting a first overall or first round pick for Julio Jones. Guess who didn't get a first overall or first round pick, I should say. They got a second and a fourth rounder in exchange for a sixth rounder from the Titans, so they get Julio. I mean, it was a blockbuster I guess we saw coming. We didn't know where he would end up, but we knew he wasn't going to be a Falcon this year. Exactly. And and it, and it kind of sucks too, right? Like this is one of the first teams that came out. Is this a possibility? Wally with the smoke and mirrors. Didn't, you know, we weren't thinking that this was actually going to be possible. Breaking down Tennessee is like, that doesn't really make sense why he would. Obviously, I think it's a great fit. Tennessee assuming a little bit more than 15 mil of his contract this year. The rest of his contract over here the next couple years. I mean, for an offense that had just lost, what, Johnny Smith, Corey Davis, this is a guy you can ultimately plug in. Great locker room guy. A.J. Brown, who is literally idolizing this dude, is now sitting right next to him in the locker room. That offensive room is going to be fun. I can rally off at least two potential Hall of Famers that are going to be in that. We'll see if there's any O-linemen that make it. But between Julio and Derrick Henry, that offense is going to be scary. We're going to get into it way more more breaking down these divisions but at least a little bit of a feeler question on paper what is this offense looking like right now yeah it it looks great you mentioned aj brown and was there a bigger winner in this move than aj brown other than maybe ryan Tannehill? because that offense in theory should be loaded on paper i mean you have two of the premier wide receivers in the game you have arguably the best running back in the game you have a solid line if Tannehill can basically just be competent, you'd imagine that this is going to be a Tennessee team that's able to at least threaten most of the other teams there in the AFC. They're still going to be in a dogfight, you'd imagine, with the Colts for the AFC South. They're probably the biggest loser in this trade because a lot of people had them rumored to get in that sweepstake. At the very least, you want to avoid Tennessee getting involved in it. But, hey, it is what it is. The Titans, as it sits right now, this offense, it looks it looks scary, man. They are, I mean, you would imagine they're, they're probably going to be one of the best offenses in the NFL if Tannehill can 
basically hold up his end of the bargain. Which I think Tannehill has proved that he is able to, but he just doesn't have to, right? When you have a Derrick Henry in your backfield, you can rely on him so much, which they did a lot of. But that's going to be the number one question, I think, is how obviously Derrick Henry's pumped to have that Julio Jones wide receiver, that veteran man in the locker room and on the field with him. But in the back of his mind, is he thinking, am I getting less touches now because we have this Julio? We didn't depend on a Corey Davis or a Jonu Smith as much as we could or we are going to depend on a Julio. That will also determine what his health is going to be because obviously this past season was Julio's worst season, missing about everything but, I want to say, five or six games. That will be the biggest question mark going into it. But yeah, that is going to be an extremely fun team. And all of a sudden, the pressure, I feel, is like it's on the Colts. Because if that if Julio went to the Colts, they are clearly the favorites to win that division and potentially battle for that Super Bowl spot for the AFC. But now we have a little bit of a uh, wrench thrown to things, as I'll take it from Aaron Rodgers, in that division. All of a sudden, are the Tennessee Titans going to be that favorite? But don't worry, Walter. We'll get to that here soon. Yes, we will get to that soon. The last thing I do want to say on this topic, because we're talking all about Tennessee, and for good reason, they went out and got one of the best wide receivers of all time. What I don't think a lot of people are talking about is what this means for Atlanta. It kind of would annoy me as a Falcons fan right now that they, not that they got rid of Julio, but it was that they only got rid of Julio. You should have done your best to also move Matt Ryan if you're going full rebuild. Because right now with Matt Ryan there, you imagine they're still going to be that five to seven win team. And then you're kind of in that purgatory. You see it a lot in the NBA. If you can't get that top tier talent, how are you ever going to be an NBA contender? They're going to be in that five through seven range. And then you're going to have to either move up or settle on a quarterback because the way it's going, the way the draft is trending is that quarterbacks are going exceptionally early. And unless the Falcons are even worse than I expected, they might end up with the third or fourth quarterback option, even at a fifth or a sixth pick. I mean, look at even this year. So I don't know. I, I would have tried to move on this year from him, maybe embrace a full on rebuild, but it doesn't look like they're doing that. It looks like a soft rebuild. And if that's the case, I think they're just going to be very not good for quite a while. I'm going to take the other side on this, not because I feel like it's better with the podcast, but I I truly believe this. Now, with Julio Jones over the next three seasons, it's going to be a total payout of around $37 million. Now, that's over the next three seasons. Now, the equivalent to Matt Ryan, he's only going to have about $28 million that he's due. 9.3 this year and next year for the signing bonus as well. There's a lot of money tied up to Matt Ryan, but my mindset for them or what I think their mindset is, we brought we brought in Kyle Pitts to plug and play right here. Essentially just being able being confident in that offense, having that offense fairly young on the wide receiving side of it, or at least the specialty side of it, between Calvin Ridley. I know we signed that fifth year option, but that's not gonna come. He's due eleven mil this year. You have a young, cheap Kyle Pitts, then you have like, you know, a Russell Gage. You also have a Hayden Hurst that you could put into a two tight end setup. So I think that they still have Matt Ryan there. Because they can produce potentially on offense. Feels like we've been saying that every single year outside of their Super Bowl year. And they just come up short. But with that Julio Jones contract being moved, maybe they can bring in some veteran guys on the defensive end. A Justin Houston who is still floating around. Maybe a Richard Sherman for that secondary that has been lacking 
so so much here the past few years. So I like the I don't like the move on from Julio. Obviously, you got to keep a guy like that, but when when it's time, it's time. And it obviously was a clean break, no animosity towards each other during that separation, which is great. But this is definitely a make or break year for Matt Ryan because his salary is only going to increase over over the next two seasons past this one because he's only due two million as a base salary this year, as opposed to 16, 16.2 and twenty point five before becoming an unrestricted free agent at the age of thirty nine in twenty twenty four. Damn, I rallied that off. I'm fucking Chris, baby. My only rebuttal to that would be is that they just re-signed or, yeah, they extended Calvin Ridley for quite a bit of money. And the reason they weren't going to bring in Julio is because they were in cap hell. They weren't going to be able to basically retain him once they made that move. So my only concern would be is that you were talking about a Falcons team now that they did bring in Kyle Pitts. That offense should be at least halfway decent. But that defense still sucks. They're going to be a six to what? Best case scenario? Literally in that division, are we saying best case scenario is nine wins? Because if that's the case, it's not good enough for the playoffs. And then you're picking in the mid-first round again. Because I I just really think you want to get that franchise quarterback right now while you're in a little bit of cap hell and try to build around that way. But I, I guess we're going to see because it sounds like they're going to be basically married to Matt Ryan at least for the next couple of years, like you said. You're more likely to be married to a quarterback long-term than any other position long-term. So I understand that because that that's what makes your offense go. It's what makes them tick, your locker room, and just as a team as a whole. That's a leader that, yeah, I get it, Julio's a leader, and it sucks losing him, but that's a quarterback. The quarterback is put on a pedestal, so it makes sense why they wouldn't move on from Matt Ryan in that train of thought. But he's 36. Yeah. Okay, with the way that the quarterbacks are playing nowadays and how long they're playing with their longevity, Matt Ryan doesn't really have that much of an injury history. The longevity for quarterbacks is is going to be better than a wide receiver, especially a wide receiver that just came off missing 10 to 11 games and his worst career just edging out of his prime years as well. But okay, but what about, okay, so yeah, longevity is up because we keep thinking of guys like Tom Brady and stuff like that, but we saw the fall off from Peyton Manning. And if that's the case, he's only a couple of years from that. He's got a young offense that can support him. Like I said, they got the Kyle Pitts, Hayden Hurst. We'll see how long he stays around. They never picked up his option. They got a Calvin Ridley. We'll see if they get a Russell Gage or another wide receiver because they seem to be pumping out wide receivers left and right since they've had Roddy White, brought in a young Julio. You know, they had all these all these guys. Oh, I can't forget Devin Hester, man. How, how dare I forget Devin Hester? They always seem to make that offense work. But only time will tell. I just cannot, I guess, support this decision from Atlanta. I can't. I'd love to hear. You never from... supported my decisions about Atlanta. You what, yeah. Had, oh, you, yeah. You picked them to win like 10 games last year. Well, I'm not going to make that same mistake this year. I, yeah, I bet you don't. I bet you don't. I bet you have them at seven or eight wins because that's where they're going to end up. And then in a year from now, you're going to be like, I can't believe they still have Matt Ryan. Don't forget who the fuck was calling this in the first place. Buddy. I was saying Matt Ryan should move on too. I'm moving on from this story. You are nothing but hurtful. NFL is set to accept bids for future host German City. So the NFL has been getting rave reviews. Jesus Christ, what are you on fucking Yelp writing up this rundown here, Wally? They're getting rave reviews from England. And they decided to continue expanding into the continent. Obviously, that continent said continent is Europe. Anywho, Germany. I'm actually very surprised by this move. I haven't really read up too, too much on this, so I'm going to leave it to Wally to kind of explain it. 
I'm interested though. I'm always interested in NFL going into European cities and countries and kind of taking over there for a day. Well, I think the best way that I can, I guess, bring this to a way for at least me to even understand was that you saw the same kind of reaction from the Premier League in the United States not long ago where they let Premier League teams come in and play like the MLS All-Star, stuff like that. It's an effort to grow the game over here. And you can't say that that hasn't worked. It feels like soccer support is higher now in the United States than at least I can ever, ever remember in our lives. And I think that's what the NFL is going for. They've had, at least it sounds like, a lot of success in England where people are really fired up to go to these games. They've got a little bit of, I guess, fan support over there, which is really cool. It's almost the opposite of what we deal with because if you walk into a bar around here and you ask people their favorite soccer team from the Premier League, you're going to get like five or six different answers. It's probably the same thing over in England right now when you go to a pub and you say, if you are following the NFL, that is, who's your favorite NFL team? I feel like it's probably pretty spread out. And the goal is to basically get that love for the game or at least put the seed in, in people's minds to start giving American football a chance. And Germany, I guess, is their next avenue to do this. They have great facilities. They have great stadiums over there. So it's a matter of time to figure out which of those German cities do end up hosting and winning the bid. But I'm excited about it. It's gonna. The only thing I'm worried about and I think this is something to be worried about, is that Germany's even further east than London is. We're going to be talking about ridiculous kickoff times unless they find a way to convince the German people wherever they are to have these be night kickoffs over there. Because we talked a few times ago, oh no, I was talking about that elsewhere, sorry, where England, in Europe in general, they don't really like the night kicks too frequently. It's why you see all the, the daytimes Kicks throughout their their soccer leagues, they'll have a couple each week, similar to the NFL in that regard, but they haven't really done that for the NFL teams yet. They're kind of their afternoon kickoffs. So I, if that's what Germany wants, we'll see, but I don't know. That's We're getting way of what? We're putting the wagon way ahead of the horses here. I think that's the expression. If not, I'm an idiot. It doesn't matter. But either way, I'm really excited to see, hopefully, the NFL continue to grow in Europe. Totally agree, though. The expansion of it, obviously, you're getting more eyes on it. And if there and if there's a need for it, who's going to be able to exploit that need? It's going to be the NFL because they love money just like any other professional league. So I'm excited. And if that means that we can get football at all hours of the day on a Sunday, say you have a, say you have that 9:30 game in the morning to start your Sunday. You watch that, and they have a later game that maybe starts at midnight. Maybe we have that Monday off the day before, the day after. That is the way to do it. That would be absolutely love. And I probably will sound like an idiot because I don't know the time zone differences. So once again, the power of editing can uh, to come in our favor here. I was saying that earlier about time zones, that it's even further east. I don't know how much further time zone wise, but you'd imagine it's going to be ridiculous kickoff times. And finally, Wally, finally, we've been waiting. I don't know about you guys. Me and Wally have been waiting quite some time to finally get back into gambling been a while we're a gambling podcast we just haven't really been touching on anything to gamble now is kind of our time to do this over unders way too early over unders this is pre all the injuries pre late offseason signings and you know we were talking about it here a little bit earlier we got the afc and nfc west here east in- you're doing great i thought you said weast Anyway, the AFC and NFC East, over-unders, 
We're going to start from the bottom to the top. We'll go to the AFC East here to start off the segment. We've got the New York Jets. They're over-under set at six. So, obviously, the key additions they have, they got Coach Robert Sala, Zach Wilson as the number two overall pick. Corey Davis from the Tennessee Titans that we had talked about. And losing Brashad Perryman, is that really a key loss? It was one of those things they didn't have a lot of losses, so those were the two guys that felt bigger. Well, their biggest losses is just being the New York Jets franchise in general, right? So I'll let you kind of take this over before I give my two cents. Over under minus 110 set by uh, Vegas itself at six games. What are you taking on this one, Walter? Now, this is going to be one of the ones that notice they're minus 110. For, for the record, everybody, this is MGM bets. These are the lines that they provided. And most of them, you'll notice it's not minus 110 uh, across like you'll typically get for a pick em bet. It's going to be slanted one way or another, which means that early money has come in one way or the other, or they just... In general, we're like, hey, we're not going to make this a round number, so we're going to round up a little bit and make the odds a little different. So anyways, I'm actually going to take the over of minus 110 at 6 because I think that 6 feels like a safe window for them. And if you win 6, you get your money back. I think they're going to be in that 6 or 7 win window here where you just brought in, a, I, I imagine, a much better head coach in Robert Salah opposed to that of Adam Gase. And I think that alone is going to help this team. There's been people that have been coming out, these guys that actually like dissect all the film each week and saying that the offense that was called last year for Sam Darnold was laughably bad. Like the coaching, the actual X's and O's were bad. The execution was worse, but the, it was terrible. So bring in a competent coaching staff top to bottom. I think that'll help them. Now you also bring in Zach Wilson. You imagine he's going to be starting right away. And then again... Elijah Vera Tucker, you pair him up with Makai Becton, who is one of the best young tackles in all of the NFL. He looked like a ma- our massive problem last year, at least in the Raiders games I got to see. He got beat once or twice, but when you look at the raw talent there, that offensive line should be very much improved. And when you brought up, when you bring in a Corey Davis on top of all that, you would imagine this team can't be worse. Now, they were in a lot of games last year and just didn't, get it done at the end. And I think that that's going to see that little switch this year. You're going to see a couple more wins. They're still a few years away from being a realistic competitive team. But last year, just to give you an idea on the offense, Steven, they were 31st in the passing game and 23rd in the rushing game. You'd imagine those guys I just mentioned help both of those. Your rushing game should get better with another stud offensive guard. And then the passing game needs to get better. It has to. You have to believe it will, but it needs to get better. And Zach Wilson, with a competent OC, good coaching, I think that you're going to see this Jets team in that 6-8 to eight win window. Well, I know you saw the Jets almost rally off a win into your boy Derek Carter, uh, Henry Ruggs, last-second Hail Mary on a fucking botched, what, was it even cover? Was it cover zero? Was it cover one? Doesn't matter. They lost the game. Absolutely embarrassing. And like you said, they can't get worse than 31st-ranked pass offense. They can only go up from there. We'll see how that rush offense is as well. Zach Wilson, going to be a lot of eyes on him. Obviously, coming out of training camp here, there's a lot of people that are saying, oh, I don't know why he didn't go number one. Good job. You're his teammate. You're supposed to say shit like that. We all know why he didn't go number one. It was fucking Trevor Lawrence for a reason. But that offense can't get worse. I don't think they've really done anything progressive on defense for the for me to believe that they're going to be that much better. 
the New York Jets have always had a good rush defense, it feels like, having that solid front seven. C.J. Mosley was in and out of the lineup all of last year. We'll see if he's going to be a more stable player and veteran for that defensive side of the ball. They have to at least go up a few ticks because, to your point, they finally have a competent head coach and coaching staff where the only direction is going to be up. Now, for the six wins, I am not too confident on there. After the first glance of looking at their schedule, what I think they're going to be, I have them right under at like a 5-12 and 12 team. Obviously, we'll see how this offseason progresses. As of right now, I don't see them topping that six. And worst-case scenario slash best-case scenario, it's a push Everyone wins, you get your money back. We'll head down to South Beach here. The Miami Dolphins, I honestly kind of find this surprising. They're they're over-under set at nine and a half. That half game is always, always so fucking annoying because you're just riding that TV. Nine and a half wins. That over set at plus 110. The under is the favorite at minus 133. Nine and a half. We'll see. The Miami Dolphins, I felt like were coming on very strong there towards the tail end of the year. Adding Will Fuller to that wide receiver room. On top of drafting Jalen Waddle number six overall, Tua's favorite wide receiver at Alabama, that offense all of a sudden is interesting with a Miles Garrett who had a very good year, first year at running back for that Miami Dolphins team. You have a Martin Gusecki, Gusecki, however you say that, a super Italian name, had a pretty standout year for the tight end position. You pair that up with an experienced Will Fuller if he can stay on the field. A young, proven Jalen Waddle, not proven in the league, but you know he can get it done at Bama. Then, you know, adding Jacoby Brissett's always good to add for quarterback depth because that guy is always ready to play. He's a pro's pro, and he's going. Obviously, losing a lot on the defensive side. And Devon Godchuk, Kyle Van Noy, who made his way back up to the Patriots, and then Shaq Lawson. So we'll see how that defensive side of the ball goes. Uh, they also have Xavier Howard, who made the first team all pro for cornerback last year. So that defense is going to be interesting i believe don't quote me well you need to number one scoring defense last year at least towards the last half of the season there's a section of weeks during that season that they were one of the top scoring defenses so you better watch out because they're ready to play i still think that there's going to be a huge learning curve tua is going to be the make or break for this team as far as they will go i know last year Tua didn't really have that many great games and they still came out victorious because of the defense i had just mentioned but can we do that for that whole season with having a whole offseason to prepare for this? I don't know. It all hangs in the balance of how Tua is going to play for this Miami Dolphins team. And with that being said, I actually have Miami winning 10 games this year. There's a bunch of ones that I, I could have gone either way with. I have them barely scratching past that nine and a half wins. We're very close. I have them just under at nine. So we're going to go opposite once again here. But you're, you touched on a few things that I actually completely agree with. I think Tua is the catalyst for this team. They will go as far as Tua allows them to go. You mentioned Mike Gusecki. You mentioned Will Fuller. You mentioned bringing in Jalen Waddle. There's plenty of weapons there. You know this is a fine coach team. Brian Flores is the man. So if he can stay on the field and he can look halfway decent, the Dolphins should be at that over. I just am not a very... I'm not a Tua believer. I'll just say that. I, I don't see it. I don't think he's going to be able to take that next step. And with that reason, I don't think that this is going to be a team that is anything more than in the hunt come December this year. I think they're going to just constantly, like last year, 
just be that far off. Now, they did bring in four top 42 picks. You mentioned Waddle, but they also bring in Jalen Phillips, Javon Holland, and Leon Eichenberg. So you would hope having that much young talent on this team, I mean, if two is going to take the next step, this is the year for them to do it. I just don't think it happens. So I'm going to sit with the under. And part of the reason of that is because I just mentioned the Jets going over. I think the Jets might actually be able to steal one this year from Miami. And I think that's going to directly impact it. On top of that, you have two very solid teams that we're about to delve into as well here with New England and with Buffalo Bills. I'm going to transition us here now, go into the New England Patriots now. They're over under this next year is set at nine and a half. With the under being the favorite at minus 125, the over the over at plus 105. I've got the under here. I know I just said that I, I think they're a really solid team. They brought in a million pieces. And let's be honest with ourselves. How often do teams succeed when they're trying to win through free agency? Bill Belichick's never really done it. He's always kept his money close to the vest. They like to build in-house. Threw all that out the window this year. Just get, let me go down the list for you here, here, Stephen about the free agent acquisitions they brought in this year. Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Trent Brown through trade, Devon Gotchuk from division rival Miami uh, Dolphins, like you mentioned, Hunter Henry, Matthew Judon, Jalen Mills, Jonu Smith, Kyle Van Noy, also from Miami. And then you draft a guy like Mac Jones. Realistically, your only loss that is worth a damn is Joe Thune. But with how much good you did and how much good you brought in, you would imagine they get better, similar to Miami. My big reason, on top of not liking to build through the outside, I think it takes a little time to gel. Cam Newton, I don't think he's going to be able to get back to that Carolina Panthers heyday. And even if they do bring in Mac Jones, I don't know if he's going to be the guy that can immediately flip the switch and make this team a contender. And for that reason, I think they're just under. I think I would have them right now at 9-8. and eight. But again, realize a lot of things can happen between now and the uh, start of the NFL season. Injuries, more trades, more free agent acquisitions. So we'll see. But for right now, Patriots under minus 125 at nine and a half. Once again, we're flipping the opposite. Nothing new here, but it, it keeps the mojo, it keeps the chemistry going a little bit. Now, with all those additions that you just listed off, we also seem to have left out all the players that opted out last year defensively for the New England Patriots that are expected to be back here this year. Obviously led by Dante Hightower, potentially having Brandon Bolden back as well, who's on the offensive side of the ball. But at the end of the day, it's the Patriots. Somehow they seemed that they were staying competitive, mostly through the season until they fell off a little bit. Adding Nelson Aguilar, he had a great year last year. We'll see how they do. Adding depth to their offensive line or adding a starter in Trent Brown. Obviously, Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith are the number one thing that's things that stick out to me. Because that's how I think Cam Newton can get back to that Cam Newton form. Will he? I truly do not believe that he will based off his injury history that he had, his up and downs last year in the season. Obviously, that's three weapons that he had added. Finally, hopefully having a healthy Nikhil Harry throughout the whole season. We'll see how that offense looks. At the same time, I don't have too, too much confidence in that offensive that offensive game plan and them being able to succeed on that side. But that's not the Patriots' M.O. Obviously, with Tom Brady, he was a perfectionist in getting that done. But it's always been a defensive team that they can rely on. Bill Belichick adding Matthew Judon, getting Kyle Van Noy back, 
and then adding Jalen Mills to that secondary. Jalen Mills, great? No, but you don't need to have a great Jalen Mills when you have a Stephon Gilmore. And then you have a Casey Jackson. I have a little bit more confidence in this New England team as a whole, as you would, and I'm going to ride the over right now because I also have them at 10 wins. I'm, I'm taking my AFC, sorry, my NFC South approach last year with having a couple teams at 10-plus wins. But when you have a bottom feeder like the New York Jets in your division, that's seemingly almost two wins per year that you that you should have under your belt. I'm going to go with the New England Patriots at finishing 10-7. and seven. Not saying that they are going to make the playoffs right now or win that division right now, but it's the New England Patriots with a full offseason getting some of their key contributors back, like a Kyle Van Noy, like a Dante Hightower. It's going to be very interesting to see how this defense is going to operate. We can almost say the same thing about the offense of the Buffalo Bills because that defense has not been the same last year. I'm not expecting them to take a positive leap this year because I feel like they haven't really had any or they haven't had a lot of key additions. The biggest key addition that the Buffalo Bills have had on the offensive side of the ball is going to be Emmanuel Sanders, who they had signed to a one-year deal. Outside of that, sure, they they inked Matt Breda on a one-year deal. Mitch Trubisky, who's not going to really get that much time. Isaiah McKenzie, who the hell is that? Brandon Powell, you know, they're not they added a lot of offensive tackle and guard depth, adding four of those guys, adding two tackles and two cards each. So they obviously seem more offensively focused than they have been in that defensive side of the ball, which is interesting because Sean McDermott being the head coach, you'd think he'd be more focused on that. Third in passing, 20th in rushing. Obviously, that explains addressing the depth at offensive line. But the Buffalo Bills, I'm expecting them, I wouldn't say to be better than last year. I think they truly peaked as a team last year. But they are going to be a force to be reckoned with here the next few years to come, close to a decade. Adding Emmanuel Sanders is awesome. Stephon Diggs, an absolute stud at that offense. They're adding running back depth with Matt Breda right behind Zach Moss, who's, who's putting up some good numbers as well. Ten and a half, that, that half, that half is going to make or break. Right now I have the Buffalo Bills winning that division at 11 and 6 right now. Again, we'll see how all this pans out. You never know. Josh Allen could be tearing his ACL right now, running down the stairs at one of his Wyoming mansions. You never know. I have the Buffalo Bills winning 11 games, barely squeaking over that half game of 10 and a half. They're over the favorite at, at minus 175. That's what I'm taking. Please take it away before I stroke out again. No, we actually agree for a change. So this is different. One time we're going to agree out of the four teams in the AFC East. But yeah, I think the over, you said it's minus 175. And there's a reason for that under for the people out there that would potentially want that. It's plus 145. I think there's a reason. This I, I We'll have to go through all of them. Uh, beyond just AFC and NFC East later to figure out. But I think this might have been the highest or the lowest, I guess, odds you would have for a favorite here. Because 10.5, I think in a regular 16-game season, I would probably take the over for this team. You add in another game, I think it's going to be easy. I think this is going to be a team that wins 12 games, potentially 13 games in a regular season. I'm not as worried as you are that they peaked last year. I think you're going to see more of the same from this team. You mentioned not a lot of key losses or additions here for the most part. When you have a team like the Bills, they're going to try to run it with this core as long as they can and hopefully get it done right now. They did bring in Gregory Rousseau at the end of the first round, which who knows? It's clear that they're trying to beat the Chiefs with that move to me. Do you want to have a little extra pass rush that's evidently the 
blueprint to beat the Chiefs, at least until the Chiefs go out and get Joe Thune and reload that offensive line. But I think the Bills are going to be a 12 or a 13 win team this year. For me, it's an easy over. I think they beat up the division once again. I think that there is at least five wins out of those six matchups. Biggest worry there being whether that be New England or maybe Miami down in Miami. But either way, I think the Bills with at least five wins in division, it's a home run bet. At that point, you're going to just have to be looking at a team that's going to have to go, what? They just have to go 7-5 and five at that point. So I think for me, that's a it's a home run bet for it's it's a not the greatest value, but there's a reason for that because it's pretty it's pretty straightforward. But let's switch it over to the NFC side now. We're gonna go to the NFC East. Not really a particular order here, but we're gonna go with Philadelphia here first. Your city. Yeah, my city's right. You're right. Uh-huh. Uh the over under for there, it's another really high one. Over is minus 163. The under is at plus 135. The total wins is six and a half. It's another half, so you don't have that buffer zone of being able, like we said earlier, with the Jets being at six straight, and you get six, at least it's a wash. This is not like that. I think the over, again, with the heavy favorite, I think it's going to happen here. I really liked what they did in the draft, bringing Devontae Smith and Landon Dickerson. I just feel, you heard me talk about it a few months ago, Landon Dickerson feels just so perfect for Philadelphia. He feels basically like a Kelsey clone. There's so much personality. You know you're getting all that you can out of him. His only issue right now is whether he can stay on the field. His ACLs are all torn up. But if they do get Alabama, Landon Dickerson, he stays on the field, I think that's going to be an immediate upgrade there as well. They also brought in two safeties, one of them being one of the top safeties on the whole free agent market this year in Anthony Harris. So they have a few definite increases or or acquisitions here that they did not have but they do have a few key losses of course Jalen Mills Malik Jackson Nate Sudfeld they're going to have a little bit of a fall off there but again if this is a team that has a lot of faith in Jalen Hurts and they really want to build in him the right way they definitely did the right things in the draft you get arguably the best wide receiver in that entire class I love Devontae if he can hold up he might turn out to be the best in the whole class and then one of the better interior offensive linemen as well. I think it's a home run. This is a very weak division. So if they can even get three wins in that division, I think the over six and a half is going to happen. Even two wins, I think you're good. Uh, but yeah, it, it, they're not going to be competing for a division this year. But I think if you're a Philadelphia fan, there's a lot to be excited for. There's at least a direction I feel like they're trying to go. They're trying to form an identity with the way they addressed the draft this year. They're trying to at least give Jalen Hurts as much of an opportunity as possible. But look out, Steven. Joe Flacco sitting right around the corner. How is somebody still paying Joe Flacco money right now? Just just witnessing that, what, he signs a one-year $7.5 million. Well, it maxes out at 7.5. It's worth up to three. 3.5 fully guaranteed, but it can max out another 4 mil with incentives. You know, they also add Carryon Johnson to their backfield with a Miles Sanders, who's an absolute stud when he can't stay on the field. Then adding pass, rush and pass rushing with Ryan Kerrigan, the ex-Washington football team member. But this 6.5 is just sticking out to me, not as much as the under at plus 135. They are just one of those – it's just one of those tricky teams. They're young. They have Jalen Hurts has the keys to the cars right now. Keys to the car, I should say, not cars. Jeez. He's got the key to the car right now. We don't really know too much about 
this coach that is coming in, how that offense is going to look. And that defense was absolute dog shit last year. That secondary needed to be addressed. No shit, you needed to get two of the safeties of Andrew Adams and Anthony Harris. You needed that bad, especially after you lose a Jalen Mills. Darius Slay is not the cornerback that you thought you'd be getting from the Detroit Lions. I just I can't see this team being good and wanting to be good because they're young and it's just it's that time to tank and get all that talent in there. Right now I've had the Philadelphia Eagles winning three games and I'm and that's still kind of a push for me. Wouldn't be surprised if they were the Jets of last year winning one or two of their last three games just so they're not going over in the year. But I'm not really that high on Philly. Don't understand why someone would be. You add Devontae Smith, like you said, which is great for your wide receivers, which was your number one problem. And all you did was get rid of all the wide receivers you had last year. And now you just have Devontae Smith. And he's tiny, too. Why would someone want to get someone that small? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What about Nick Sirianni? You don't sound all that excited about that coaching hire over there, Steven. I mean, three games, that's three and a half lower than what MGM has it at. I don't know what they're smoking. Let me get some of that because that shit's legal out there. But, man, I don't know if I'm high because I think the six and a half is too much. Obviously, it's a drop-off when you have Carson Wentz, who who is able to perform at a high level. He just has not been able to the past couple years. We'll see how Jalen Hurts is going to look as a starter with the keys to that car. Right now, I don't have them. I ha- I don't have them north of three, maybe four wins total. I feel like this is an absolute lock right now. That's why we call it the way too early over unders of the season, bud. And unfortunately, we have to continue talking in this division, mostly about the Dallas Cowgirls here. They're over under set at nine, both minus one ten. Key additions, obviously, Micah Parsons, linebacker for Penn State, that that had dropped to them to number twelve. They, lo- they lose Andy Dalton, and that really hurts, and Xavier Woods. That probably hurts worse. This was just an absolute dumpster fire, obviously, once Dak Prescott had broke his ankle, was out for the remainder of the season. But still an eighth-ranked passing game in, in 2020, a 17th-ranked rushing game in 2020 with Zeke Elliott out there, a deteriorating O-line that seems to not be the same O-line that they had when they had both those young studs straight out of the draft. And that defense is just horrible. There's there's nothing nice to say about this defense. This defense is absolute dog shit. The only reason that they were a viable team to pick for the NFC East last year is because Dak Prescott is the comeback kid. He loves coming back late in games. And that's what he was doing in the beginning of the season before he hurt his ankle. And also, fun fact, what he hurt his ankle halfway through the third or fourth game, he still led the league in passing yards for another week or two after that so the kid can perform a lot of pressure on him with that fat contract that he had signed but that offense is loaded and that offense is young so I'm excited to see them firing on all cylinders as excited as I can be for a Dallas Cowboys team now as for them nine flat for the over under I have them right at nine it sucks because it can't be 500 it's a lot better if it's eight and nine this year, I have them at 9-8 and eight to see because I have a little bit of confidence in that offense. Don't know how much confidence I have in Mike McCarthy at running that offense, but I've seen Mike McCarthy run some very high-powered offenses with a lot of studs like this Dallas Cowboy team has right now. Don't want to jump the gun and say that this could potentially be like that young, young Green Bay offense when they had Aaron, Greg, Jordy, James Jones, 
with a Jermichael Finley in there. They don't have that tight end quite yet. And I don't think Dalton, uh, Dalton Schultz is going to be that guy. But watch out. That Dallas Cowboys team can really stir up some shit in that division and that NFC playoff picture. We're actually on the same page again here where I think that if I was going to pick a win or loss number for them, it would be nine. And for good reason, they have it at minus 110 both over and under. But I That's think- just their magic number. And the only reason it's nine now is because we have 17 games. But that eight and nine spot is their magic number for the Cowboys my entire life, our entire life. Yeah, for sure. And the one thing I would say, though, if I had to decide if they are more likely to go 8-9 and nine or 10-7 and seven, because of the division they play in, if Dak Prescott can remain healthy, I'm more inclined to take an over here than I am an under. But again, like you said, I have them at 9. Now, you mentioned Parsons being arguably their biggest addition of this entire offseason. You draft arguably the best defensive player in the entire draft at 12. I bet they were thrilled. I know they were a little bummed out that they didn't get their boy there, Patrick Sertain, and they had to move down. But you get extra assets and bring in Parsons. That's a huge win. But again, on top of that, you could make a case the biggest addition for this team this year is Dak Prescott. You mentioned he got hurt so early in the year and how much he was balling out. If that defense was even halfway presentable, I think that Dak Prescott offense can be very lethal. It's just... Can they be? I mean, last year they were 31st against a run last year. They were 11th against the pass, and a lot of that is purely because they were running the ball so well you didn't have to throw this as often as you did. It's not like this Dallas secondary is something to be excited and pumping your fist about. I really don't think it is. It's just a matter of how far can Dak Prescott take them. That's the theme of the whole NFL. It's the theme of what we've been talking about right now in this like whole breakdown or preview, whatever you want to call this. Notice how we every single team, it goes back to the quarterback play. And I just, if I'm going to bet on Dak Prescott to win or lose that extra game, I think I'm going to bet him to win it because of the division they play in. So I'm taking the Cowboys over at nine. And I guess it's just a matter of now, are they healthy at kickoff? Because that's obviously the million dollar question. Now, a team that wasn't healthy throughout most of last year was the New York Giants. Their over-under is set at 7 wins, the over being the favorite here at minus 138, the under at plus 115. Again, I have to agree with Vegas. I'm going to take the over here. Again, they could very well end up at 7, but I think it's much more likely that they're an 8-9 and team opposed to being a 6-11 and team next year. You bring in guys like Kenny Galladay, Dory Jackson, the ghost of Kyle Rudolph. You do lose the Dalvin Tomlinson, the Kevin Zeitlers of the world. That's a bummer. But you also get back Saquon, and if Saquon can't perform to that pre-ACL level, I mean, this is going to be an instant upgrade on offense. The defense, again, I feel like it's almost slept on a little bit because the NFC East is so bad, and because the Washington football team defense is the class defense of that entire division, so they don't get necessarily the credit they deserve. I think the Giants are a 8-ish, maybe even a 9-win team next year. They're going to be alive in December for the division. That's less of a how good the Giants are, and it's more of a I'm not that high on the rest of this division. But notice again what I just did here, Stephen. I picked three straight overs in this division, including the Eagles, including the Cowboys, including the Giants. I think this is going to be a little bit of a resurgence for the division just simply because it can't be that bad again. Spoiler alert, I'm also going to be doing an over again for Washington. So four for four. That's important for me to say. Whether they all hit, probably not. But I think that each one, when you look at it just from the outside, they cannot 
grossly underperform as much as they did last year, especially as a division as a whole. But yeah, for the Giants, over seven, I think that's safe. I actually like that bet a lot. This is all going to hang on the shoulders of Danny Jones. Danny Dimes, as people like to call him. He was very injury-ridden last year. You can tell that he wasn't as mobile as he, you know, as he was earlier in the season when he was running off 40, 45-yard runs only to trip at the three-yard line. I think he did that. Well, he did that once, but, like, you can't do that. Come on, dude. Like, you're out there for the white quarterbacks that are running, and you're just out here doing that. Can't have that. Can't win with them. Can't play with them. But that defense, like you said, it stuck out very overshadowed because of what, how dominant that Washington football team defense and mostly that front four and front seven were for them. But 16th in pass defense, top 10 rush defense as well. And they were, people seem to forget that Monday night game that they had against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where that was the only team that came close to them during that seven, eight, nine game stretch towards the tail end of the season. And it was the New York Giants. Like that blows my mind. But Danny Jones being fully healthy, we'll see if he wants to take that third year leap with a Saquon coming back fully healthy. We'll see. I'm, you know, obviously I feel like he's going to have that. No one will ever have that AP-esque year post ACL injury, but I definitely feel like Saquon is going to have a very good year after that. Kid's just an absolute animal. You add Kadarius Tony, number 20 in the draft overall for wide receiver and a loaded wide receiver room, like you said, with Kenny Galladay that's in there. I like Sterling Shepard a lot. Darius Slayton at one point had the most touchdowns in like a 13-week span leading back from the season prior to that. So they have some offensive weapons, but we'll see. That offense has just been so stagnant the past couple years. Outside of, oh, I want to say it's outside of Carson Wentz, Daniel Jones is right there with the, the most amount of turnovers as a quarterback. But most importantly, dude loves to fumble the ball a lot. Got those small hands. I can't eat this Whopper because of my tiny hands. That's Danny Jones. Again, I have the New York Giants right at seven wins on this preliminary look through through the NFC East and the New York Giants schedule. I have them right at seven. But this division, as much as we love to shit on it, it is the most competitive division in the NFC. You always have one or two top teams and then two bottom feeders in every division. Look at the NFC South. Tampa Bay and no one else. Look at the NFC North. It's basically going to go between the Packers and the Vikings here the past few years, and then the Bears, eh, and then they'll shit, and then it's then it's the Detroit Lions. Like, this is the most well, this is the worst yet most fun and well-rounded division to watch because they're always competitive. Because if, if one's shitty, they're all shitty, and then it makes it fun. There's no separation of talent on these. They all have pretty shitty talent, but make for really good divisional games. New York Giants I have right at the seven spot right now. Worst and best case scenario, like I had already said, you're bringing your money back in if you pick the New York Giants on this. And we're going to lead it and finish it off with Walter's Washington football team. I like the ring to that. Do you like it? What is that What is that called? Is that like an onomatopoeia or something? You're the English major. Alliteration? Well, alliteration for the guy who's illiterate, so that kind of makes sense. The Washington football team's over and under is set at eight. Right there, slap dab in the middle almost. Over being the favorite at minus 133, under at plus 110. Obviously, some of the key additions that they had offensively, they had Ryan Fitzpatrick and Curtis Samuel to that offense, which was in a lot of need of a quarterback that can lead a team for a full season. Obviously, someone else who was opposite side of scary Terry McLaurin. 
And then you have William Jackson, the third, you're adding to your secondary on the defensive side of the ball, arguably the only thing that you do not need to touch on that Washington football team. Key losses, Dwayne Haskins shouldn't be number one, but I can see why as we have an Ohio State guy here. Ronald Darby, who's ass, and Ryan Kerrigan, who's very good, but just extremely injury prone and getting outside of those final years that are outside of his prime. They get Jamin. Da- J- Jamin? I think it's Jamin. Jamin? Jamin Davis. But like, a, you know, like I'm saying, you add a Ryan Fitzpatrick, that veteran quarterback presence in your locker room into that huddle, and you know he can play. And what is the best team to put him on? A team with a extremely stifling pass rush and defense. This is a team that Ryan Fitzpatrick can thrive on. Curtis Samuel really started dominating once that Christian McCaffrey injury happened there in Carolina last year when they put him a lot in the jet sweep motions. They had him a lot in the slot. So he's going to be really fun. And they are in so much need for offense, being 25th and 26th in passing and rushing here in 20. And then finishing both two in pass defense, 13th in rush defense. Obviously the best defense in that division. So there's going to be a lot of room for error for a Ryan Fitzpatrick-led offense. At the end of the day, I believe that the Washington football team are actually going to win this division with 10 wins. Clearing that over, almost I almost want to call it a lock right now. You know me and my future bets, Wally. That's really the only bets I can make because I just get lucky, luck of the draw. I have them clearing this eight-win total that is marked here for Vegas. Over 133. Sorry, over Minus 133. How could you not take it? Mortal lock of the year. Yeah, I was kind of joking around when I had Dwayne Haskins as the number one loss. This is my, I guess, Washington Buckeye team realistically. So I had to throw a little little fun there. But yeah, this is a team that they bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick. You bring in a veteran presence in that quarterback room where realistically that was the biggest hangup for this team. They were bottom seven in both the passing and rushing game in the last season. That's not going to get it done. You would have seen an even better defensive statistical performance if this offense was ever able to stay on the field for more than three or four plays at a time but yeah so bring in Fitzpatrick you bring in Curtis Samuel you replace Ronald Darby with William Jackson at third that shouldn't be a big fall off it's a little bit of a bummer that you lose Ryan Kerrigan it would have been really nice to see him end his career there one of the better edge rushers in Washington football history but it is what it is that's how it works I do like this team at the over at minus 133 and eight you said it. I really agree with 10. I think 10's a really good number, especially in a division like this. Had it not been for Dak Prescott, it'd be a runaway for me. But he's such a like solid quarterback. I think Dallas could at least hang around a little bit longer. We'll see. Obviously, Vegas thinks that Dallas will win this division. I'm going to ride high with the Ron Rivera, with Jack Del Rio, with that defense all together. We'll see, though. I, I like the team. I think you're going to see a 10-win team likely win a division. But there's so much that can still happen before the start of the season. We'll see. But yeah, that's all I really have. I, I probably said other stuff the first time, and I'm just an idiot, like I said before, and didn't record it. So bear with me. But yeah, Washington football team, over eight wins. That's what I like there, Steven. Yeah, wow. Way to really bring the energy the second time around here, Wally. You know that's Wally. I'm Steve. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Instagram and Facebook, at loss of down. Instagram down underscore loss. Definitely keep your eyes peeled here the next couple weeks so we can get the voting back out for what division we are going to cover next, ultimately leading to our big, big show where we can give you actually real numbers, real rundowns of what we actually think is going to happen. This is going to be post-offseason workouts, post-injuries, 
post late off season additions and signings that they have for all those veterans that are out there. Todd Gurley, Lev Bell, Richard Sherman, Justin Houston, just to name a few. So keep your eyes peeled. Please, please go out there and vote so we know what division we get. Like you said, I think we have a hunch the AFC and NFC North are going to be coming here soon. Before I cut you loose, Wally, you have some parting words for us. Yeah, for the second time, I have to tell you, first time they'll get to hear it. But the Islanders, I hate them. I This is so frustrating. It's not necessarily the conference finals like normal because of the playoff format for NHL hockey. But we have two sacrificial lambs in Montreal and in New York that are going to be playing likely Vegas and likely Tampa Bay. That should be an awesome Stanley Cup, assuming we get it. One of these two teams will screw it up for everybody else. But outside of that, yeah, just just staying busy, trying to pump out some content. And that's it, Steven. I guess I'll see you in a couple weeks. Can't wait. Can't wait. Hope you get that Bart Scott sound clip in there. That'd be amazing. Again, he's Walter Lukashensky from Pittsburgh. I am Stephen Weed from Columbus. And until a couple weeks down the road, we will see you next time. You guys are the best. Thanks. No, I'm the fucking best. I had to sit through all this, Wally. Now you're telling me. I felt it too. Shit. <laughs>